Mm-hmm. Is it like Oedipus? Uh, it's, uh... <laughs> Do you need to take an Oedipus? No, I need to take a Schmitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to be another two-hour episode. So. <laughs> Welcome to 2023, Dana. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, hosted by Dana Smith and Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana, the first episode of 2023. Yeah, that's uh, looking like a good year. We've we've almost completed the first season. Yeah. What do we have? Um, there are 29 episodes. So after this, four more. Four more. I was actually taking a peek ahead at season two already. There's some great episodes. And I actually was on uh, a channel tonight before dinner and had had Star Trek on it. And I saw three crewmen die. And then later in the show, another crewman died and one was hanging on for life. I think for season two, it's going to really up the uh, dead crewman count. All right. Well, you know, as I said last time we were on, I was thinking of quitting this thing without more (laughs) dead crewmen. (laughs) Well, just hold your horses. It's coming. All right. Okay, good, good. Dana, how was your New Year's? It was nice. It was uneventful. We just made a pizza and hung out, watched TV, watched a couple of movies. Actually stayed up till midnight. Wow. You're getting wild in I'm, your old age. Yeah, old, first time i have done that in a while. Older age. I meant older, not old. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Dan? How was yours? I made uh, chicken wings on the smoker. They're quite good. And then went to bed at about nine o'clock. And then my dog woke me up by throwing up. <laughs> He hates the fireworks. I had given him some medicine. I didn't take the medicine this time. I gave it to him. <laughs> no, but it was fine. You know, I, New Year's is, has never been a big holiday for me. Never. Me either. I, I remember when I was a kid, it was a big thing to stay up past midnight. Okay, Dan, last time uh, we got together, uh, we were talking about this side of paradise. A lot of comments on this episode from our fan base. One of the big comments we got on uh, this side of paradise was uh, how much people liked seeing Spock laugh, seeing the other side of him, seeing him smile and fall in love. Leonard Nimoy does a great job at showing this whole range of emotions. Yeah, definitely. I was really impressed when with what we saw there. Surprisingly, there's not a lot of comments and all the nasty things Kirk said to Spock to make him angry. We also had some comments regarding our take on the idea of paradise, which we've discussed at least once before. Uh, but several people echoed Kirk's words that we need challenges and some struggles to make the ordinary days worthwhile. You know, there's an expression that says you, you got to go through some shit to really appreciate the sunshine, something like that. I've never heard that expression before, <laughs> Dana. Never. Let me try a different one. You don't get rainbows without rain. I have heard that one. Well, Dana, and I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who sent us emails, Facebook messages, and comments on the YouTube channel. One of our listeners commented about the episode Balance of Terror, the issue that Dana brought up about the asteroids and how could they remain stationary. He said maybe the asteroids had large thrusters installed on the surface. Court Marshal, you remember uh, Commodore Stone, who never blinked? Comrade Wireless Caller 6716 (laughs) wrote that maybe Stone never blinked because he was really actually Commodore Stoned. I thought that was funny. (laughs) One of our listeners commented about Season 1, Episode 3, Where No Man Has Gone Before. This is from Burke of Mellow Park 3472. 
I was raised on uh, the original series. I was 11 when it debuted. It was just awesome. And he said that today his son is a cinematographer due to Star Wars and Star Trek, the original series. So that's kind of cool. That's way cool. And one more comment, although there are many that I could choose from, but uh, we'll finish with this one. Christopher Leo Daniels, 7203, writes, this episode was always cringy to me. The only thing that halfway helps me through the last scene is knowing by Grace's account, that Nimoy remained her friend after the attack and her firing and was a source of support through the tough times. Okay, real quick. Here are a few of the fans uh, who contacted us. So thanks to Mary. Kent. Paul. Gary. Ron. Sarah. Ken. Butch. Rose. Keith. Jimmy. Edward. Jose. Rob. Olivia. Troy. Grant. Peter. Tang Dan. And uh, thanks to all the Facebook groups that allow us to share our podcast info, the Star Trek series and films, uh, Star Trek, the original series, uh, Star Trek, original series, TV and film, Star Trek universe, and the Star Trek fan group, just to name a few. Let's dive into the devil in the dark. Yeah, let's do it. On Janus 6, we see a uh, miner named Schmitter. Are you... <laughs> okay, stop, uh, stop, stop, stop. I'm not going to make it through this episode. No, you're not going to make it through this. the first sentence, okay? <laughs> first off, Dana, who comes up with these names? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, a group sits around a table and goes, you know, it'd be a great name. sounds like (laughs) (laughs) this guy's name was horrible and the character you know just seemed like a doofus you know yeah i don't don't really know what's happening (laughs) you're gonna leave me down here alone i might schmitter my pants (laughs) this guy god okay sorry um yeah i'm gonna let you finish the first sentence (laughs) <laughs> so on Janus 6, a miner named Schmitter replaces another guard at his post. Schmitter is extremely nervous about doing the guard detail. And there's uh, another guy there. Uh, we find out it's Chief Vanderberg. And he keeps reassuring him, saying, "You keep your phaser ready. And he says, uh, if you need anything, just yell. We're just three minutes away. And Schmitter says, a lot can happen in three minutes. <laughs> just, I mean, he looked like he was going to crap his pants at any moment. Yeah. Chief he takes Vanderbilt. the jumpsuit back to the laundry and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> throws it in. And the, the poor person who's got to clean it pulls it out and goes, oh, yep, this was Schmitter's. <laughs> I can already tell. Do you have guard detail again, Schmitter? Yeah. <laughs> We've made it through the <laughs> first maybe 30 seconds of the episode. <laughs> this seems like it's just normal for us at this point, Dana, and we probably just need to accept it. People have no idea, and someday we'll release the master tapes and people will <laughs> then have an idea and wonder why they listened to us for as long as they did. So. <laughs> I think we're going to have to still pull the Nixon on those master tapes and still erase some things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yep. So there's a three minute gap here. Don't know why. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Chief Vanderberg and other guards, they're walking down a pathway uh, in a mine and all of a sudden they hear a scream and they return to find Schmitter reduced to a pile of ashes. And Vanderberg looks down. They never show the ashes, but Vanderberg says, like all the others, burned to a crisp. And they just started making fun of his name. Where do you think he is? Well, maybe he's in the Schmitter. 
Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to the planet. Kirk is asking about the monster that they're facing and finds out that 50 men have been killed in the past few months. Vandenberg says this is a lucrative planet, all kinds of minerals, and one of the miners, this guy Ed Appel, so here's another great name for you. Yeah. Oedipal. Mm-hmm. Is it like Oedipus? Uh, it's, uh... <laughs> Do you need to take an Oedipus? No, I need to take a Schmitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to be another two-hour episode. So. <laughs> Welcome to 2023, Dana. <laughs> yeah. So Oedipal, who seems to have a chip on his shoulder, says he's seen the monster. And he describes it as big and shaggy. Yeah, but did you notice like when uh, Kirk asks him, what does it look like? And he said, well, I don't really know. I only got like a little glimpse of it. Well, yeah, you either do or you don't. Which, which is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kirk says that they will help with the search. And Pell says to Kirk, you're, a, you're big and tough with your starship and phaser banks, <laughs> but you can't bring a starship down here. And he's just an ass. Yeah. I was, I was hoping Kirk would just, you know, jack him right there. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. One of the things, though, they're all wearing all the miners wear jumpers suits of different colors. Yeah, like pastel colors. They're not dirty at all. Yeah, There's I noticed no... that same thing. <laughs> and here's here's the other thing too. If you're in a mine, aren't you going to have like darker colored jumpsuits so that the dirt doesn't show up as much? Didn't you find the colors just a little odd too? Yeah. And, and it, it is a 23rd century. So maybe mining is not the mining how we see it. You know, maybe it's all machinery and stuff. And these guys sit back and file their nails while they're, you know, mining. They don't get dirty. So Spock picks up this round ball and Vandenberg states it's a silicon nodule. Spock says it's a geological oddity. And Vandenberg says, we didn't call you here so you can collect rocks. <laughs> and uh, he he leaves. And uh, so McCoy comes back in saying... Schmetter didn't burn to death, Jim. Not in the usual sense anyway. Explain. Well, there are only fragments of bone and teeth left. But the plant's physician agrees with me. A chemical corrosion. Almost as if he'd been thrown into a vat of extremely corrosive acid. Strong enough to eat machinery? Strong enough to eat anything else the way you can think of. You ever use those uh, chemical toilets? <laughs> I have not, no. I've used them before. I've used a couple of them before. So you've schmitted in them? <laughs> that joke is going to, that joke's not going to get old, at least for me. It could, that joke should it? last several, that might last several episodes, Dana. <laughs> so maybe I was thinking that McCoy realized that it was chemical corrosion, kind of like the uh, chemical porta potties. So your working theory at this point is that the monster is a chemical toilet. <laughs> it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, yeah. it's as good as theory as any at this point, right? Kirk is asking uh, Spock about the uh, life forms on the planet. Is there any alien life? And Spock replies, there is no life on the planet, or at least no life as we know it. So next thing we go to the uh, nuclear reactor, a lone guard is... uh, standing in front of the door that says nuclear reactor. And uh, we hear a scraping-like noise, like rock against rock. The guard turns and screams as something big and dark appears to consume him. Next, we see the uh, burned hole in the floor and steam rising off the floor. 
and we go back to the nuclear reactor and we see there's a hole in the wall. And it's a big size hole. So back in Vanderberg's office, Kirk asked Spock if the ship's sensors can pick up abnormal life. And uh, before Spock can answer, the lights dim and the lights on the panel in the uh, back of the room flashes. Vanderberg looks at it and says, it's the reactor room. And they all go running out the door. Down by the reactor, they see the hole in the wall and Vanderberg goes through it. Inside the room, Vanderberg calls for Kirk to come quickly. We see a burned hole inside in another structure inside the room and Vandenberg states it's the main circulating pump for the reactor and it's gone. Without the pump, the whole system will go super critical. Next thing we see is Scotty and he says a PXK reactor. No, sir. We don't have any spare circulating pump for a thing like that. I haven't seen a PXK in 20 years. Can you rig one up? It's vital. Well, sir, I can put together some odds and ends, but uh, it won't hold for long. Get together what you need and beam down here with it. Hi, Captain. So back in Vandenberg's office, Spock is still inspecting one of the silicon spheres, and uh, he speculates that they may be dealing with a silicon-based life form rather than a carbon-based life. So they're talking about how to stop this creature. They don't know what it is, but Spock says Phaser 1 is far less powerful than Phaser 2. Colonists only have Phaser 1, so Kirk instructs Spock to make the adjustments to the miners' phasers to make them Phaser 2. What is the difference between Phaser 1 and Phaser 2? I've never heard this term before this episode. Yeah, me either. It just has to be a power thing. Okay. Actually, this is the only time we ever hear about this in Star Trek, Phaser 2. Yeah, and you can't use this one to warm up coffee. Oh, it would, no. It'd probably be really bad. Your coffee would come out very bitter, Dana. And then Spock continues to study the silicon orb, Spock points out that there are thousands of these silicon rocks in the level where the killings first started. Kirk asks Spock for a theory. I have already given Dr. McCoy sufficient cause for amusement. I would prefer to cogitate the possibilities for a time. A short time, Mr. Spock. We have very little. Next, we see Scotty working on the pump for the nuclear reactor. Scotty says it will hold for a bit. Kirk says, Scotty, right heard on it. Kind words, tender loving care. Kisses, bathe it, flatter it if you have to, but keep it going. I'll do what I can, sir. Kirk is giving orders to the security team. Was it like five or six red shirts? Yeah. And I was thinking at that time, Dana, oh, yeah, come on now. Something's got to happen. <laughs> so much potential. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk orders the security team to start at level 23. So Lieutenant Commander Gato, it's it's Giotto. Giotto. Okay. Like Giotto. Okay. So it's Lieutenant Commander Gelato. <laughs> So Lieutenant Commander Giotto asks Kirk why the 23rd level. Kirk says because it's possible the creature might be on that level. We see the security team going through the tunnels. Spock and Kirk are exploring too. Spock says he's adjusted his tricorder for traces of silicon. Spock... Using the tricorder says he has found a life form, a silicon-based life form. We cut to a uh, blonde-haired security guard walking alone. He hears a noise. It's the rock-on-rock scraping sound. He turns, and a dark, ominous figure covers him as he screams. He didn't even get a chance to shoot his phaser off. Schmitterick didn't fire his weapon either, did he? No, and Schmitter had time. He had time. He, he was just too busy Schmitter in his <laughs> pants. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it's exactly what he was doing. So Spock and Kirk come racing up to the scene and there's nothing but a burnt outline of the crewman. 
So Spock finds a spot where a tunnel was made just in the last few moments. Kirk says our best engineers couldn't cut through this rock in a couple weeks. Suddenly, the monster appears. It looks like kind of molten lava in a movable form. And Kirk and Spock turn and fire at the creature. And the creature retreats. Gato and another guard come up. They see a piece of the creature on the floor. Spock goes to it and picks up the piece. And it's kind of pulsing. Yeah, I thought it was cool looking. Yeah, but I was wondering, I mean, if it's... This thing secretes acid and burns through. Wouldn't that have acid on it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially since you just like sliced a piece off. You would think <laughs> yeah. so. Kirk asks, what is it? And uh, Spock replies, it's a fibrous asbestos. Well, I wonder if asbestos, the dangers of asbestos maybe weren't even known in the 60s. I, I don't know. But I saw a thing about Steve McQueen. Okay. Oh, this should be good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and when he was in the Navy, they had these ships. The insulation in them was all asbestos. And the Navy took all the asbestos out of those ships by hand. Oh. And they think that's one of the reasons why Steve McQueen died of cancer. Really? Yeah. Now, what did they, did they just throw it in the ocean? What did they do with it? I think they sent it to a meatpacking company. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, use, they put it into forms so you can package hot dogs and things like oh, that. Oh God, hot dogs. Yeah, that, yeah, that's where it would be. I mean, the bad hot dogs. There are some really good hot dogs out there. There are some really good hot dogs out the there. Na- do you which do you like Nathan's? Yeah. Hebrew oh, National? Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, that's how I always think it was Hebrew National. Yeah, that's a good one too. Oh man, yeah. And Nathan's, yeah, those are great. The generic ones, they, they're actually crunchy. Even, even Oscar Myers aren't as good as no. like Nathan's and stuff. Yeah. Okay, hold on. We, we started with Asbestos. That is in the show. We ended with asbestos. We tied it all up together in a nice little with a nice little bow. Do we still have to put money in the ramble jar? Do you know what all that metal stuff was about? <laughs> I can't even remember to be honest. <laughs> then we need to put money in the ramble jar. Oh, <laughs> Because we rambled so much, we didn't even know what we were talking about. Oh, God. All right. The money's going in the jar. Okay. So Spock is doing a tricorder search. He says there is only one creature within a hundred mile radius. Kirk says it can't just be one creature. Or it is the last of a race of creatures which made these tunnels. If it is the only survivor of a dead race, to kill it would be a crime against science. Mr. Spock, our mission is to protect this colony. Get the Pergeum moving again. This is not a zoological expedition. So Kirk tells the security team to stay in pairs. And if you encounter the creature, fire at what seems to be its head. <laughs> now this creature is like a pile of shit on the floor. It's, it's, it has no front or back. No. <laughs> Spock then tells the team to try and capture the creature. And Kirk says, your orders are to shoot to kill. Kirk dismisses the men, then says to Spock, I don't remember giving an order to capture it. Spock says, you did not, but the opportunity arose. Kirk then tells Spock to help Scotty with the circulation pump. He's obviously trying to keep Spock out of the hunt. Spock says, Mr. Scott has far more knowledge about nuclear reactors than I do. And Kirk says, you're second in command. We cannot risk the chance that both of us could be killed. And this was great. Spock says, the odds against you and I both being killed are 2,228.7 to 1. 2,228. Point seven to one. Those are pretty good odds, Mr. Spock. And they are, of course, accurate, Captain. Of course. Logically, with those kind of odds, you might as well stay. But please stay out of trouble, Mr. Spock. That is always my intention, Captain. With your math mind, is that is that um, a true <laughs> probability? To me, everything's 50-50. Either something happens or it doesn't. <laughs> 
right? I mean, that seems yeah. logical to me. Everything's 50-50. <laughs> I live near the mountains. The chance of me driving to work tomorrow morning and getting caught in an avalanche is, you know, 100 million to one. Now, how do you figure? Because I don't live in the mountains. You know, an avalanche usually takes place on a mountain, not on the plains. Okay, I have a question for you then. So you, you went to work today. Were you caught in an avalanche? No. No. And the only other option would be yes. So 50% would be yes, 50% would be no. Everything's 50-50. I just proved it right there. <laughs> so Kirk sends out the crews to find the creature. Kirk and Spock come up to two different tunnels. Kirk sends Spock through one and he takes another. So then we see something flash in the foreground and then the roof collapses near Kirk. So Kirk is kind of trapped in this room with the silicon spheres and he's communicating with Spock and Spock says, I'll try to get there quickly. So just when he's finished talking to Spock, one of the walls kind of starts glowing red and the creature comes through the wall. So Kirk uh, ends the call with Spock and then he kind of squats down in front of the creature and he says to the creature, what do we do now? And the creature turns slowly and shows where it was hurt by their phaser fire. And it's kind of like a white area on the backside, you know, whichever side you want to say, because yeah. it didn't seem to have a front back or east or west or anything. It looked like a huge white head on a gigantic zit, because this thing looks kind of like a big angry yeah. zit, doesn't it? Dr. Pimple Popper. Yeah, God, yeah, no. <laughs> We've talked about Dr. Pimple Popper, haven't we? I cannot bring myself to ever watching one of those. Just the name makes me want to pick. Oh, yeah. Just... yeah. <laughs> so Spock comes into the area and he aims his phaser at the, at the creature and Kirk says, no, don't shoot. Spock slowly walks over and joins Kirk. Spock mentions the Vulcan technique of joining two minds. So Spock moves slowly towards this creature and he's holding his hands up and then he just starts saying, no! Waves and waves of searing pain. And the creature goes over to a rock and spells no kill I. <laughs> yeah, its uh, uh, spelling was good, but its grammar was horrible. <laughs> so Spock tells Kirk the creature is highly intelligent, extremely sophisticated, says a horta. Kirk says, you must reconnect with it and find out where the pump is. So Kirk calls for McCoy. Kirk then tells Spock that he must reconnect with the creature. He wants to know why it started to kill. Spock moves forward very slowly and he puts his hands on the Horta. Immediately, he looks like he's in pain. Kirk calls Giotto and says, don't let Vandenberg and his men come through. He says, just send McCoy through when he gets here. And Spock is touching the creature and he screams, And he says, sorrow for the murdered children. And McCoy comes around the corner and he is completely stunned. Kirk tells McCoy, you got to help that. McCoy says, help that? You can't be serious. It's virtually made out of stone. Help it. Treat it. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. You're a healer. There's a patient. That's an order. What did you think when he said it, Dana? Oh, I was excited. I was practically doing backflips. So, so. <laughs> I thought you'd be excited about that one. I was too, but I thought, oh yeah, Dana's going to love this one. <laughs> so Spock is still in contact with the Horda. Kirk tells Spock, tell it we're trying to help. He says, ask about the mechanism. And then he gives directions to Kirk to find the mechanism. And... You mean, in other words, the Horda told him where it was? Yes. 
So Kirk goes into a tunnel. Kirk comes upon a chamber where hundreds of the silicon nodules appear to be broken open. We go back to Spock. Kirk comes up with a broken silicon nodule and he says, they're eggs, aren't they? The miners destroyed thousands of them. He says he found the mechanism and it's in good shape. And McCoy, meantime, is working on the Horda with what looks like cement or clay. So the, the miners overpower Giotto and, their, and his men. The miners come storming in and point their phasers at the Horda. Kirk stops them, saying the first one that fires will be dead. Vandenberg says, that thing killed 50 of my men. Kirk says, and you killed thousands of its children. Those round silicon nodules, Kirk explains, are her eggs. And I thought this was kind of a poignant moment. Yeah. You know, I thought it was really important. And Vandenberg doesn't seem, he doesn't really get defensive. He, he really truly felt sorry about it. And he says something like, well, we didn't know. Kirk says it's intelligent, peaceful. It's just fighting to protect its children. Kirk says the Horda are the most natural miners in the universe. He says they tunnel, you profit, provided you can work together. Spock says the creature may die. And McCoy steps up from behind the creature and says, It won't die. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. Great line. He says, I patched up the wound with thermal concrete. Kirk tells Spock to communicate with the Horda again and tell it the offer for the miners. Spock says, It seems logical, Captain. The Horda has a very logical mind. And after close association with humans, I find that curiously refreshing. So this was a time, Dana, where Spock was actually kind of getting a little dig in, wasn't he? Like at at the humans. It's almost always the humans that are getting a dig in at Spock. Yeah, that's true. Spock does it in such a way they don't even realize it's a dig. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) So back on the ship, Chief Vanderberg calls up and says the eggs have started to hatch and the Horta are tumbling and finding new deposits of pergium, gold, platinum, and rare earths. Vanderberg says the Horta aren't so bad once you get used to their appearance. Spock says, What Chief Vanderberg said about the Horta is exactly what the mother Horta said to me. She found humanoid appearance revolting, but she thought she could get used to it. Now tell me, did she happen to make any comment about those ears? Not specifically, but I did get the distinct impression she found them the most attractive human characteristic of all. I didn't have the heart to tell her that only I have... She really liked those ears? Captain. The Horta is a remarkably intelligent and sensitive creature with impeccable taste. Because she approved of you. Really, Captain, my modesty. Does not bear close examination, Mr. Spark. I suspect you're becoming more and more human all the time. Captain, I see no reason to stand here and be insulted. And that's how the show ends, Dan. Uh, Another great line, really. For me, this show had a ton of holes, more holes than the Horta dug. (laughs) But, But I also thought it had some good stuff in it as well. So, Dana, what were some of the themes or dilemmas you saw in this episode? Well, the big one for me was uh, the way that mankind, we need these minerals, we need this planet, and we can just kill whatever's in our way. Uh, Much as, you know, man has done moving through nature here on Earth, uh, losing species and things like that. I thought this was uh, really timely. So, do you think it is justifiable then for humans to maybe obliterate a species or make it go extinct if it is in the way of us needing something? Thing we need as humans. No, it's uh, man's hubris that he thinks he is above all other creatures. 
anything we eradicate uh, leaves a hole in our ecosystem. Dan, what about you? What what themes or dilemmas stood out to you? Well, for me, it was like at some point we're going to discover life on another planet. So you know, if it doesn't look like us, are we going to be afraid? Are we going to be aggressive? Do you think that if we actually had evidence of life in the universe, that it would throw the planet into chaos, or do you think people would just be like, ah, oh, just another news story? Oh, I think it would definitely throw the planet into chaos. We have a hard time believing that there's anything out there that's better than us. Mm-hmm. What do you think would be more damaging to the human psyche? Finding out that there's other life in the universe or absolutely finding out we are alone in the universe? Again, I'll go with uh, that there's other life in the universe. I just don't think that we some people could get their minds around it. I mean, I think you're right, uh, that there would be some type of social upheaval, especially if that life visited us, right? But mm-hmm. for me personally, I think it would be more damaging to find out we were alone. Like, this is it. Especially since, you know, things aren't looking good for the human race. And and at some point, <laughs> the human race goes extinct, right? Whether it's through our own doing or the sun uh, expanding. And the, the earth is going to burn up someday. It's going to be gone. So unless we're able to find a way to live somewhere else, human existence is over at some point. Yeah. And that is troublesome. It's like people that live at the base of a volcano. They know that someday it's going to go off. They're like, well, it hasn't gone off in my lifetime. Yeah, that's a good point. So when it does, I'll probably be gone. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll just tell you, it scares the Schmidt out of me. <laughs> I just find it, just thinking of a way to use that one again. Tell me about some good points from this show. I'd say one of my favorites, Dana, was Schmitter. I mean, just the name, <laughs> it is... <laughs> It has uh, made me laugh many times uh, during this <laughs> podcast with you. If no one else is laughing, I'm I'm laughing. And uh, I just thought it was hilarious, even though the character was as dumb as Schmidt. <laughs> how about a best part for you? Well, you know how I like uh, non-humanoid aliens. Yeah. I like the Horda because it didn't have two arms and two legs and dressed like it came out of the 60s. So do you have another uh, favorite part? Yeah, one more I'd like to talk about is McCoy when he He's treating the Horda. Uh, He had some really great lines. Um, First off, of course, is the I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer classic. And the uh, by golly, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. Two classic McCoy lines, I think. Oh, yeah. How about another good part for you? The basic storyline that the miners eventually realized they can work in harmony with the Horda and that they were really in the wrong to begin with. How about a worse part for you? We talked about holes in this story. Did you notice that the Horda had arms, hands? No. How did the Horda carry the pump out of the reactor? How did it disconnect it? I didn't see a tool belt around its waist. That's a good point. I I didn't even think about that. And then it's all intact. Yeah, weird. Yeah, good point. (laughs) And and why didn't it just destroy the whole pump to the reactor if it knew that was going to shut everything down? See, you're right. A lot of holes. (laughs) I didn't even think of those ones. God, this this episode may be an episode with the most holes that we've reviewed so far. How about you, Dan? (laughs) Do you have any uh, least favorite parts in this? Yeah, uh, there were no female speaking roles in this episode. This is the the only episode in Star Trek where that's the case. Any other worst parts for you, Dana? I just wish uh, Appel had been fed to the Horda. I wouldn't have regretted if he got fed to the Horda, Dana. Well, that would have made me happier and would have made the story better, I thought. Dana, is there anything else you think we need to discuss about this episode? The other thing that kind of struck me, and I realize this is a 1960s television show, the walls were made out of paper mache and what have you, but the floors looked like perfect floors. Mm -hmm. They did a nice job on the walls. The floors just were amazingly smooth, looked freshly polished, a little too perfect. (laughs) Shh. <laughs>
Dana, when did the show come out and what happened on that date in history? The original air date was March 9th, 1967. And uh, when this episode ended, NBC announced that Star Trek had been renewed for a second season. Wow. That in itself is noteworthy for what happened on this date in history. Yeah, I guess the other thing we should say about this episode, Dana, which we did not bring up, William Shatner's father died during the making of this episode. And he was told, he was called actually on the set, his mom called him and told him while he was working that his dad had just died. From everything I read, all the crew and the other actors working with him said Shatner handled it really well and that he insisted on finishing the shoot. Yeah. A few other minor details. Joseph Stalin's daughter, she defected to the United States via the U.S. Embassy in New Delhi. And then they flew her to Rome and helped her find refuge in Geneva, Switzerland. Wow. And Stalin never had her killed, huh? That surprises me. Stalin was dead by then. Oh, right. He died in 53. <laughs> that makes sense. That's why. Well, you know, even from beyond the grave, that guy was a bastard. Yeah. The number one song in the U.S. was Love Is Here and Now You're Gone by the Supremes. Hmm. I don't know that one, but I like their music. Yeah, I'm sure I've heard it. And the number one song in England is still Engelbert Hunkberdink's Release Me. Wow. What was happening in England? For like this last several weeks. (laughs) I have one more note that kind of ties into the whole story. On March 11th, 1967, the first list of endangered species was issued by Stuart Udall, the U.S. Secretary of the Interior, with a total of 78 animals in the U.S. that were threatened with extinction. Mm. The list contained 14 mammals, including the grizzly bear, the red wolf, and the Florida manatee, Mm -hmm. 36 birds, three reptiles, three amphibians, 22 fishes, Hmm. and five varieties of trout. Fortunately, the trouser trout was not on that list. (laughs) (laughs) And then way back in history... I just found this interesting. March 9th, 1862 was the Battle of the Monitor and the Merrimack, which uh, marked a new beginning for naval warfare. Now we've got all that out of the way. Yeah, finally. Can we close this episode? (laughs) Would you like to talk about lists? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, why don't we get to our uh, counts, Dana? Um, How about the dead crewman count? How many do we have today? We had one, Dan. Oh, God, finally, Dana. Finally. How long has it been? It's got to be, what, four at weeks, least, five at weeks? At least, yeah, at least. Yeah. So we did have- Seems like forever. We did have one red shirt die. We never found out that guy's name, did we? Or did we? I didn't see I it. didn't see it either, but it doesn't matter. He died, which is good for us. So uh, <laughs> we had one die this week. Our tally now is 26.5. How about the shirtless Kirk ripped shirt Kirk count? Zero. Yeah, too bad. Would have been nice to get another one in here. Yeah. If he could have fought the Horda, I think he would have ripped his shirt. <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah, so zero this week, total of nine. He's dead? Zero. He didn't say it, so we're still stuck at three. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Not a bricklayer. Ding, 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 ding. We got a winner. We got a winner. So we've got one for a total of two so far. And the Supreme being count? Zero. The Horda was pretty smart, but not a Supreme being. Yep, exactly. So we are stuck at four. Dan, what's up next week? Hey, next week we've got Errand of Mercy. Hey, Dana, once again, I had a great time. I always laugh a Schmidt ton when we do this show. <laughs> 
How long, Dana, until you tell me to just cut that out? Is this it? Is this the end at this episode, end of this episode? No more Schmitter jokes? <laughs> oh, I think we can make this go on for a couple more episodes. We've only got four more true, to go. True, true. What was the other one? Was it the stalactite that kept going on for a while? Or Stalactite yeah. went on for quite Jaeger a while. Jägermeister, didn't that go on for a while? Jägermeister. All right, well, anyway, I had a... We're still getting notes about Jägermeister, by the way. Yeah, so. <laughs> anyway, I had a great time tonight, Dana. Uh, thanks once again. Hey, enjoy the rest of your week. As always, Dan, it's a great pleasure. Looking forward to... The the next time we get together to talk about Star Trek. Until then, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for Errand of Mercy. Until then, live long and prosper. <laughs>